0: Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today I'm the detail the rise of New Zealand cricket. One of the earliest traumatizing sporting memories I have is the third cricket one day international between the Black Caps and Australia in 2005. Australia won the toss and elected to bat, facing the fast bowler Daryl Tuffy who will open up this uh, third one day Gilchrist on strike. And Gilchrist on the move straight away for to start this game. Tuffy, who was a fine fast bowler and a key component of that side, completely lost his composure, delivering what was later dubbed one of the worst overs in professional cricket history. It's not a pleasant feeling, and everyone goes through it in their careers, where whether it be as a, a batsman, a bowler, a wicketkeeper, even in the field... Tuffy's over, which was meant to last six balls, ended up taking 14 deliveries to complete, four wides and four no balls, which is not what you'd expect from a professional cricketer. And in a sense, this was sort of a good metaphor for New Zealand cricket as a whole at the time, well-intentioned and workmanlike and capable of moments of brilliance, but inconsistent, uh, underwhelming, and a bit prone to cracking under the pressure but fast-forward 15 years.
1: Ah, oh, there it goes, Neil Wagner in his 50th Test match, finishes his things off for New Zealand. Impressive all-round display. The series victory over the Windies has sent New Zealand uh, and sent us right to the top there of the World's Test Cricket rankings where we join Australia. How good.
0: This black cap side is arguably the finest cricket team New Zealand has ever produced. They've made the final of the two most recent Cricket World Cups. Half the side would skate into an all-time New Zealand 11. So today on The Detail, what happened? How have the Blackcaps gone from being whipping boys to world beaters? Andrew Alderson is the cricket correspondent for both Newstalk ZB and the New Zealand Herald. He's speaking to me from the Basin Reserve just a couple of hours after the Black Caps crushed the West Indies by an innings and 12 runs, claiming the two-match series 2-0. And this was a bit of a weird moment for him. Andrew grew up in the 1980s, when the West Indies were the absolute dominant force in world cricket. Between 1980 and 1995... They didn't lose a single test match. New Zealand's had the wood on the windies for a few years now, but seeing the black caps dismantle them in such comprehensive fashion still takes a bit of getting used to.
2: Yeah, it's a strange scenario, isn't it, when you think about how utterly dominant the West Indies were. And I think it's a a combination of a number of things, but I think with their sporting scenario in the West Indies now, uh, a lot of the top athletic talent goes towards, for argument's sake, football or basketball or even into the the US uh, athletics scene. Uh, And that's really where the the money's at. And they haven't been able to, I guess, uh, Develop their game with the professional era. I mean, they tried to through the Alan Stanford years, and uh, that didn't end too well. I think he's still in the, the penitentiary somewhere in the United States, mm. and I think that uh, that's really unfortunate that they uh, they were not able to to I guess capitalise on, on and continue that era on because boy, it was uh, it was quite remarkable. The Black Caps'
0: fortunes are certainly on the rise following the team's uh, drubbing of the West Indies in
2: Wellington, and that victory has pushed New Zealand to join Australia at the top of
0: World Cricket's Test Rankings. But is that really deserved? So this one takes us, uh, I think we're equal top, or perhaps even outright top of the International Test Rankings, which sounds pretty amazing. Is it amazing, though? Are cricket rankings weird like rugby ones are?
2: I think they are to a degree, Emile. I think that... New Zealand, I think it's just a couple of percentage points that it's like sort of point 0.1. It's, New Zealand and Australia are both on 116 points. Australia's ahead by about point 0.1 when you do the division up. But for all intents and purposes, uh, they're equal, number one. But I really don't know that New Zealand are number one in the world as yet. I'd still certainly class Australia up there, even India to some degree, uh, because they obviously suffered that 3-0 loss in Australia last summer, didn't put their... their best performances out on the park there by any stretch that Australia won so convincingly. And also, I feel like it needs something to hinge their success on this era. And they've done so well, of course, with the one-day game and you know, the, obviously reaching the, the 2019 uh, final and, and losing by zero runs at Lords mm. against England. But you have a scenario in the test where they, they, they need some sort of final frontier, I think, in that They've never beaten South Africa away in a test series. They've never beaten India away in a test series. They've done it against Australia, a week Australia in 85-86, but you take those victories when they come. Mm. And I think that uh, if they were to hinge it on something like that, and it could come next year uh, with the uh, the World Test Championship uh, final, if that indeed goes ahead at Lords they're looking at June as a date for that, New Zealand now third in those rankings, uh, but still behind uh, India and Australia. Uh, but I think that potentially is a, a, a great... Hinge that they can base this whole era on.
0: Can you explain to me how the test rankings are figured out, or are these one of those things where you need, you know, a degree in quantum physics to actually, you know?
2: <laughs> well, I think that would be, probably be helpful, uh, but you, you earn your points, et cetera, um, over a period of time, and it's divided by the number of test matches you've played. Uh, so effectively, Australia ends up with 116 on that basis. Uh, and uh, New Zealand on the same now. So, and it's reconfigured every year. So I think they take it's based over a couple of years uh, in the cycle, and then they they take out the previous year as they go. So, or t- time you know picks it off by month et cetera. So, that's as simple as I'm going to give you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like what 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 is your read of this team? You know, do you think that this is a special Black Caps team? Are we getting better and better, or are the Windies making us look good?
2: Oh, no, this is a special caps team, undoubtedly. I mean, this is... This is it's, it's hard to compare the amateur with the professional era, but this is certainly New Zealand's best uh, team in the professional era, even compared to you know, what Stephen Fleming was able to achieve uh, over a number of years. And he was skipper side with some, some great players in there and former likes of Chris Cairns.
1: Yeah, Good stroke. It's a crunching blow from Cairns. Stood up
0: tall. And that'll race away. Good technique from the big man.
2: Danny Vittori.
1: Catch it. There's a good strike. Oh, it's a good catch too. Frustration for Michael Vaughan. He'd have probably earned six for that stroke. Hit it really well. It means that Vittori ends up with five He's bowled nicely.
2: When they were at the peak of their powers. But I think that uh, this team just has the A little bit extra special about it. And I I think the talisman of the whole era, if you like, um, I'm thinking back probably to that Cape Town test Mm. in 2013. Brendan McCullum takes over the leadership of the side, uh, the the complete debacle over the, the removal of the captaincy from Ross Taylor.
1: Good afternoon. The New Zealand cricket captain, Ross Taylor, has effectively been sacked from the role and Brendan McCullum appointed in his place. The Chief Executive of New Zealand Cricket, David White, has just made this announcement at a media conference. The original recommendation was for Ross Taylor to be retained as test captain and Brendan McCallum to be short form captain. We regret that Ross Taylor has declined the opportunity. Therefore, Brendan McCallum has been appointed as Black Caps captain for all three forms of the game.
2: My Hessen hasn't long been coaching the team, uh, and they reached probably an all-time low with that 45. And this time he swings, Del
0: underneath
2: the deep, picks up his second. New Zealand all out for 45. South Africa have blown New Zealand out of the water here at the moment. But, you know, there, there was the beer afterwards. They wanted to play, you know, a better brand of cricket. But all through that, threading through three, there's is, is Kane Williamson, who's been such a steady hand and now, of course, leading the team.
1: Oh. Oh, he's picked the gap, he's picked the gap, and there it is. Test match 100, number 22, for New Zealand's little maestro. Um,
2: and, and Gary Stead has taken over from Mike Hesson as coach, and has done a great job too. I think he's been there two years now, over two years, so he's starting to deserve some of that credit, uh, even that, that was fostered initially from Heston and also from McCullum. I think there's so many factors there uh, and the team, you've got that great bowling attack as well that's developed over time. Tim Southey, Trent Bolt, and now Neil Wagner, and even Kyle Jameson.
0: Oh, and another one bites the dust.
2: Just like that. Hung the bat, found the outside edge. BJ Watling in the game again. And Jameson has four. Top edge. Fine leg, it's Trent Bolt. Yes, Bolt, and it. it's five. Jamison, five wickets and just his second test match. Coming into his own, making it, uh, you know, reaching the standards that are required for performance in this team. Tom Latham opening the batting as well has become one of the the, the great New Zealand test openers. So there's so many factors there. BJ Watling is a wicketkeeper uh, and as a batsman and, you know, he's known as the sheriff. He's, he's the guy who's... Uh, sort of in the background, but is uh, wholly respected by his uh, his peers in that side. There's just so many of them that have, uh, have been able to contribute to over the years. In addition, uh, Ross Taylor as well, I think I might have failed to mention
0: there. Yeah, Tom Latham is one that sticks out to me, largely because he uh, is the same age as me. And so it's kind of dawned on me that I'm going to have to give up my dream of being a professional cricketer.
2: I love it. It's a a great benchmark, isn't it? I I was of a similar mindset when Craig McMillan made the team (laughs) when he was about I don't know 19 or 20, no something like that, and I was thinking
0: "Mm, my numbers up. I was looking back on the, the the New Zealand team that played the West Indies when the West Indies toured New Zealand in 2005, 2006, and I'll just read you the top six here. Um, and I, I don't mean this to be mean spirited to the the cricket teams involved, no, but of the top not. the top six there is Hamish Marshall, Jamie Howe, Peter Fulton, Stephen Fleming, Nathan Astle, Scott Cyrus. Throughout their careers, only one of those players averaged over forty. The difference in class between the Black Caps now and the Black Caps then is it's almost like as you as you say, amateurs and professionals. I mean, it's not. And again, I don't mean to be cruel, but what happened? Why has this happened in one generation?
2: Well, I think it really comes back to sometimes you, you can only develop or, or foster you know, that, that success from the ashes, and I really feel like it's probably a bad term to use in terms of cricket. <laughs> I think that with that match in Cape Town, that was a, that was an all-time low. You know, out for forty-five, they realised they had to do something dramatic and to have to, you know, basically rebuild uh, what they they were trying to create. And and I think that you know, it built from there. They had better standards, and when you look at the way the team operates now uh, in terms of the build-up, and I've covered the team for a while, I of course uh, observed it, you know, throughout my my years. You know, loving cricket, but but as a journalist, the level of professionalism with the side now, I would say, is at an all-time zenith. I really think that when you see them developing and and, and comparing them against the Westerners, and their warm-ups and and you know, building up to the game. Uh, there's just a the sense that uh, this this is a really professional outfit who knows exactly what they're doing, and I I think that um, and then it's reflected on the field uh, with, with performance. And so I don't think there's any accident there; it's pretty much hard work. But also, just those protocols or, or just those they have a you know just the set standards that they have to meet. And uh, and there's a few traditions there too. You know, today after every. Uh, test match victory, they sing the team song um, and even there's like the, the special tradition among the bowlers that they uh, they hire a limousine, they uh, they get the cigars, they get the bottle of champagne and they drive all the way out to the top of Mount Victoria um, and I think BJ Wadding is the keepers included in that group as well, but special traditions as well so it's not all serious, uh, they have some fun too.
0: Is that right? They hire a limousine and they go smoke cigars and drink champagne?
2: <laughs> there's photographic evidence of it, Emil, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's glorious
2: it, it, only, it only happens after
0: victories at the Basin Reserve Oh, very good, very good I was going to say, it's good to see that some elements of uh, cricketing culture that might be considered a- anachronistic have remained you know? <laughs> That's right, it's hard to, hard to burn those off I was thinking today about 2015
1: Smith heaves it away, that'll do it Steve Smith fittingly hits the winning runs And Australia are champions of the world
0: but I remember being absolutely gutted after that World Cup final because I kind of got the feeling that it was sort of a lightning in a bottle moment, you know, and it yes. was, and that we would never be in that position again where we will be able to win a World Cup or where we would be among the very best in the world. But we really do just seem to have gone from strength to strength from there.
2: That's right. I think if anything, the consistency continued, um, and you had. Uh, I think by that stage, you know, if you think about the one-day environment rather than the test environments. They'd started to develop players uh, to such a degree. There was a whole host of players having to come through. And I think, too, that when players see what others are capable of and they see their own compatriots on, on the very highest stage, at least in that format, uh, it, it, it instils another generation with belief. And I think that that will continue to keep coming as long as these players are here now. And you know kids who come to the ground and see them playing and the, the standard they're, they're able to achieve, uh, that's, that's going to be a... Uh, a real plus for for cricket in New Zealand, and I think that just with that that 2015 final yeah, it did feel like I I, I, you know, I was there. Was it was the most amazing experience? Albeit, uh, you know, I took a slight uh, dip. once Brennan McCullum was bowled in that opening over. But I think that uh, yeah, it was able. It was a real Phillip, and it was able to just keep generating that uh, that interest and enthusiasm in in over the next four years as well, and it's continued on since then too.
0: Tell me a bit about the the pipeline of talent that's come through since then. Has there been big focus on developing young players? Do you think?
2: Oh yeah, certainly, and I think because they've, and this is where you've got an excellent liaison between New Zealand cricket and the New Zealand Players Association, and and the players association are effectively you know, checks and balances as, as I guess are the media in some ways as well, but but the players association are able to ensure uh that they're able to get what they need in terms of keeping on, you know, those playing structures, making sure that uh that players are getting those opportunities at provincial level and then there's also you know, an A program as well, which we've seen a lot of this year, certainly with uh, the COVID situation, with teams coming here and playing a lot of A games. And it's just exposing those players, those levels of the game that, that enable them to, to take their games to a level rather than getting getting stuck and uh, you know getting in a rut or, or anything. And then being exposed later to a level of the game that, that they're not capable of, of developing in.
0: RNZ has a number of cricket tragics in its ranks, among them Auckland news chief Jeremy Reese. And Jeremy, being both contrarian and wildly unpatriotic, had some misgivings about the praise
1: being heaped upon the Black Caps. Look, I do have misgivings. I've been watching cricket for something like 45 years. I love the Black Caps, I think they're a great team. But cricket is a game which depends on the surface. You know, you can have slow pitches, fast pitches, seeming pitches. And i just started to wonder and worry as to whether we're getting great green seaming pitches that perfectly fit our team.
0: Yes, what a coincidence. Yes. The beautiful green seaming pitches for the black cap side with four excellent seamers in exactly.
1: it. Exactly. Now, in the 70s and 80s, we used to always accuse India of doing this. You know, they'd have three brilliant spinners, probably the three best in the world, and we'd say, look at their terrible spinning pitches. It was always a coincidence that India had these wonderful spinning pitches. And I kind of... I've just started to watch these games and think, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. Isn't it just home-ground advantage, though? It could be, and it could be that New Zealand is a a sort of a a humid country, lots of sort of uh, um, humidity in the air, lots of green grass and so on. So, yes, we wouldn't suddenly create dust bowls.
0: But you think that it might be maybe uh, artificially inflating New Zealand's
1: performances? Well, let's say we're playing to our strengths, aren't we?
2: I would say it's the same for both teams, um, albeit that as New Zealand conditions, they're used to it. I think that Kermit Green hue can sometimes be uh, a false alarm in a way. I, I don't think it plays as green as it looks. Um, the other factor is too that New Zealand were, you know, they lost the toss and were asked to bat Indeed. on both occasions, I mean it was pretty green in Hamilton as well. Uh, so they're getting, you know, in what is in effect the, the worst of it. Uh, so I think that uh, you know, using that logic, you know, it's still a, a fine result from a New Zealand perspective, given that they're on the on the surface to start with. And I think that teams can sometimes, and, and they Jason Holder, less his captain, admitted this uh, in the press conference um, beforehand, or it might have even been after the Hamilton test, that sometimes it can just lure you into that false sense of, of insecurity, if you like, whereas you should really just trust your judgment when you're actually facing deliveries off the wicket. But, uh, yeah, it can, it can play, I think, as a, as a psychological factor, particularly in, in November and December where you still have that, those spring-type conditions, not so much of a factor and when they do play tests in, uh, in February and March.
0: We never know how things are going to turn out when we're children, but I suppose, you know, how How do you think the nine-year-old Andrew Alderson would have felt if he'd known that, uh, you know, 33 years on, he'd be basking in sunshine at the base of the reserve watching New Zealand beat the West Indies by an innings?
2: He would have thought, job done, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely been an ambition of mine to see, you know, once I realised I was never going to never going to play the game at that top level. I wanted to be a, a cricket journalist and, and a commentator and things, and, and things have worked out pretty well, me, to be fair.
0: There's still time, Andrew. WG Grace, he was playing well into his 50s.
2: <laughs> that's right, that's right. It's uh, yeah, it's never too late.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Hey, uh, just finally on this, Pakistan's next up. Um, do you think they'll pose a bit more of a challenge?
2: Oh, I think they will. I think there's a certain wiriness and a cunning to the Pakistan uh, lineup, up um, but... Yeah, I mean, obviously they've had difficulties themselves with the whole uh, COVID regulations, and they, I mean they're lucky to be playing, to be fair, um, given that there's been issues there. And you can never take that for granted in the current environment. And I, I imagine we never will again after the year that we've experienced. But the uh, the Pakistan side, yes, I think they will. I mean, the difficulty though, I think with Babar Azam, who's really their top batsman, uh, suffering a. a I think it's a broken thumb or broken finger um, recently in the, in the, uh, the build-up, uh, which, which certainly weakens them. So uh, they will play uh, probably a, a more uh, yeah, competitive role in the West Indies, who I, I think are struggling there, especially with their depth, uh, after losing a couple of players as well. Uh, but uh, the, the, the prospect of facing this New Zealand side at the moment is, is pretty intimidating, I suspect.
0: Let the good times roll, eh?
2: Too right, too right. It's uh, cricket's in good shape, I suspect as well. It's just been a, it's been a wonderful period, and uh, yeah, it's got years to come. And I really, yeah, I can't really emphasise enough the, the influence of, Dragon's sake, am to say Kane Williamson as a talisman though, in that side, and just the composure and the the grit that a player like that has, and in the way that other players follow him as a result of that. And I, I don't think he's sort of a classical, you know, yelling from the rooftops. Sort of guy in terms of the changing room and the rah rah speeches or anything like that. He, he just does tend to lead by example, and you know the test record that he's fashioned in recent times with 19 wins from 33 matches. I know, you know he's uh, he's not here because he's on the, you know he's waiting waiting the arrival of his first child at the moment. But Tom Latham leading in his absence, but that's a remarkable record and, and compares to you know, any of the greats of the game uh, in terms of captaincy.
0: That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform and if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell and thanks to Andrew Alderson and Jeremy Reese. Mate